0: Today's sermon is from uh, Romans 15, verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to take out a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 15. You know, at the end of that song, that was a test, you know, in the goodness of Jesus. They just wanted to see if you were really singing or not, so they just paused for a second. It's a little trick we use. No, no, thank you guys so much for leading us this morning. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, We are in the middle of a... A series at Trace Crossing. Our typical practice is to preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse. We've been walking through the Book of Acts since the beginning of the year, but we've taken a couple breaks. Uh, this is our third break this year. We have been considering the foundations of our church. Now, um, if you've been with us this year, you know that we have been through a lot. We've been through a lot this year. It, it has been, it has been a heavy heavy year after last year being a heavy year for different reasons and then after a year before that that was heavy for for even different reasons Um, we've had we've had three really difficult years a lot of heartache um, a lot of confusion a lot of frustration. If you're visiting with us today, we, we um, uh, try to be honest and transparent about things. If you join us for a new members class, we, we do not hide and act like this is the perfect church. Like, I'm so glad that you are here because we are unlike all the other churches in town that have problems. We are, we're the perfect church. You know, you just happen to stumble in the right one. No, we, we have uh, no qualms about it. We, we are not a perfect church, and we've experienced that. Um, it's, it's tempting whenever you face crisis to panic it's very tempting to want to run to want to hide and any time a church goes through a season of turmoil that church needs to take a look at the foundations of their church because either we are building our church on the sand and we need to change immediately or We need to see that we actually are building our church on the solid rock and we just need to simply re-anchor ourselves to that reality. Regardless, looking beneath the surface, looking under the hood, will serve us. So that's one big reason why we are taking time before we jump back into not only the book of Acts, but also regular ministry rhythms of life groups and equipping classes that are starting in a couple weeks. Uh, We need to think about The foundations of our church to remind you of the solid rock to which we are firmly anchored. And then from that place, the goal here is to help us freshly reimagine what our church can be. So, two weeks ago, we said the vision and mission of not only our church, but any church must be upheld by two pillars the pillar of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, and the pillar of the great commandment love God and love others. So, in one way or another, our church exists to make disciples of Jesus who love God and who love other people. Last week, we said that one of the ingredients that we need to become that type of church, a church of disciple makers who love God and others, is gospel doctrine. We need the truth, the objective reality of the gospel. Now, if we stop there and then say, all right, now what are our ministries going to look like? We actually will miss out on the power of the gospel. Last week, we saw from Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is not just some empty creed that we recite or memorize. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone and anyone who believes. It is the power of God for real change. So we're considering today, what is God up to? Through the gospel, how is he changing us? What is our creator God up to in his idea for the church? God's desire for his church, for our church, is that we embody a culture that reflects the nature of his grace. Last week we talked about gospel doctrine. Today we're talking about gospel culture. Gospel doctrine, what we believe, leads to gospel culture, how we live. Now, this particular phrase, gospel culture, I am indebted to Pastor Ray Ortland, who, who pastored a church in Nashville most recently, who has recently retired from that post. But uh, he is the first one about three or four years ago that introduced me to the idea, not, not personally, but through his writing, um, the idea of gospel culture. So I'm heavily influenced by. Uh, Pastor Ray Ortland, um, in his language here. In order for us to become disciples of Jesus who love God and who love other people, we need both, not either, but both the gospel's doctrine and its culture. And I have to tell you, right now, our church needs a heavy dose of gospel culture. I hope you'll see that at the end of today. After all we've been through, We need a church environment that makes it possible for us to heal and grow, to love and be loved. If we do not cultivate such a culture, then we will tragically contradict the gospel that we believe and preach. Gospel doctrine without gospel culture is hypocrisy, not some version of church health. And So that's why we're talking about culture today. And we're going to do it in in three ways. We're we're jumping off from Romans 15, uh, specifically verses 5-7. through We're going to look at the first three verses of of Romans 15 as well. Um, You don't have notes in front of you, mainly because I really want you to press in and not rely on notes right now. I have notes ready, and I will email those out to you. Uh, We'll definitely uh, upload them whenever we upload the sermon later today. Um, But I want your attention. I want you to be focused. I want you to be thinking. I want you to be dreaming, even, of how you can put some of this into practice. We're going to be—there are three points if you love to take notes, and I know some of you are like, oh, there's no notes. But look, just uh, find a mom in here, and most of the moms probably have some paper. You know, their kids are asking for paper, so moms, if you want to share some with some of the adults here as well, just feel free to do that. Um, Or take your phones out, uh, get your notes page out, and take some notes. Three points today. We're going to look at gospel culture in three ways. First— I simply want to introduce you to the concept of a gospel culture we're going to be looking at the nature of a gospel culture simply asking the question what is it what is a gospel culture second I want to show you some specific characteristics specific markers of a gospel culture so that we can actually know what it looks like what does a gospel culture really look like get a little more practical and then thirdly we'll get even more practical and I'm going to share with you a specific path forward a way that we can actually start to cultivate a culture, a church culture, that reflects the gospel that we believe. Okay, so three steps. We're going to ask what, the, what a gospel culture is, what, are, what does it look like, and then how do we get there? Okay, first, what is a gospel culture? And we're going to answer that by asking a few questions, a series of questions. First... Um, we don't typically use this language. I mean, seriously, when, when I was introduced to this concept of church culture, I had never used it before. I'd always, like, talked about church community, church fellowship, the life of the church. But the culture of the church is a very specific thing. So just as every society, every region of the world, every, every workplace, every family has its own culture, every church has its own culture. A culture is simply a way of life. way of life. It is the habitual, social, and experiential environment of a group of people. And culture is seen from everything from, from the way you dress to the way that you speak. If you uh, a lot of people think because we're from Kentucky that we're Southern like you guys. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. Where we are from, it is not, and, and, and Stacy and Paul know for sure because they spent some time there. Eastern Kentucky is not like the Deep South at all. Very, very different cultures. Uh, people, people dress a little bit differently, but they definitely speak differently. Some would say we smell differently. I don't know. Um, but uh, it is very, very different. There are, there are very different cultures there. Um, a church culture... It's very simply the habitual, social, and experiential environment of a local church. To put it even more simply, a church culture is simply the vibe of a church, and it's kind of like restaurants, okay? So when we moved to Tupelo about six years ago, um, I would say it was maybe uh, a few months into us living here, Erica and I, we went out for a date night. Um, We we had Jude, Jude who's sitting here on the front row, he was like six months old whenever we moved here, Um, and when... Uh, we had a date night one night, and we were just thinking about restaurants to go to. We heard the Grill was a really good restaurant, so we went, and we were planning on going to the Grill, and uh, the wait was just insanely long. And we were like, "Man, we just we don't have that much time. We got a babysitter, we, you know, we can't do that." And so we just walked over to the side, and we saw this restaurant. It was called Park Heights, and uh, we we knew nothing about it. We never we had never heard of Park Heights, and we were like, "Oh, that's a restaurant. Let's go inside." there's not really a wait, there aren't that many people there, they let us in, we sat down, as soon as we walked in, we picked up on a very specific vibe, okay, and what stood out to us was not only the white tablecloths, which was like, ooh, fancy, you know, and so we were like, we're really having a date, but when we sat down and they brought us the menus, there were no prices on the menus, and we were like, we are in trouble, okay, so we're not eating out for the rest of the year, but, but we're going to have us a great date night tonight, it had, it had a particular vibe, well... I'd say a couple years later, we had another opportunity to go on a date night. Now, we had other date nights in between. Our marriage isn't on the rocks. Um, But uh, we we, we decided to go out, and uh, somebody told us about the Blue Canoe. And we were like, oh man, that sounds really cool. They were like, you gotta go on this night because they have like 25 cent rings or, or wings or 50 cent wings or something like that. And we we're like, oh, I love wings. That sounds awesome. And we, we got a babysitter and we were like, let's, let's go. Let's have a date night. We had some things we wanted to talk about, you know, so, some serious things, you know, joyful things, but serious things. We actually wanted to talk and hear each other. And uh, if you've been to the Blue Canoe, you know where I'm going. Um, so we, we walk inside, there's a band playing, we sit down and we're like, the whole, the whole time, what? Huh? What did you say? It was just so loud. You know, the music was, was great, but, you know, just so loud. We could, I mean, we were. I was sweating from the vibrations, you know, in the room. And it just, it has its own vibe. And the vibe at the Blue Canoe, if you don't know, is very different from the vibe at Park Heights. Culture, okay? So, the, every church, in the same way, has its own culture. Oh, by the way, amazing food at both places, all right? So I'm not hating on them. Um, uh, church culture is, of course, seen in the clothes that people wear. If you go to church... You know, here uh, in our church, you know, people, people are a little more free in what they wear. You go to another church in town, maybe it's a little bit more formal. Um, if you go to church in eastern Kentucky, I, mean, I don't know what you're going to get. It just, just kind of depends. Um, if you go to church somewhere in Asia or somewhere in Africa, the, the clothes that people wear is going to be different. There, there's a particular culture there. Um, the, the preaching style, the musical style, there, there are all kinds of cultural elements. But more important to the health of a church are not the broader cultural elements that you find in the church. More important is a consideration of how much the gospel's culture is a part of the way of life in the church. Churches with vastly different, broader, sociological cultures can have the same gospel culture. When we talk about the culture of the church today in this sermon— we're talking about the collective attitudes and actions of a church. When we talk about a gospel culture, we are simply considering whether or not the gospel that we believe has seeped into the way that we interact with each other, has actually caught on. And you don't just know it, but you, you've caught the gospel, and it impacts the way that you interact with each other, the things that you say, the things that you do. The question is, do you get a gospel vibe here? And and church culture is one of the most authentic aspects of the church because you can't hide it. You you cannot clean up an ugly church culture. You can't fake your culture. You can't cover it. You can't hide it. It is bare for all to see. Now think about it. If you've ever visited a church, Whenever you visit a church, even if you're just on vacation, you decide to go to church somewhere and you walk in. It is so much easier to pick up on that church's culture than it is their doctrine. I mean, sure, you can visit their church's website, you can see their statement of faith, but it, it will really take some time. You, know, you, need, you need to go to a couple classes, maybe hear a couple sermons, and really feel out you know, what this church really believes, because anyone can put anything on paper. But you can't fake kindness. You can be friendly and nice and all that, but you can't can't fake genuine kindness. You can't fake genuine hospitality. When you visit a church, it does not take very long to pick up on either kindness or coldness. By the end of the service today, if you're visiting for the first time, you will have a decent picture of the culture of our church, for better or worse, our way of life. And the more you spend time with a group of people, the more you start to get an accurate picture of what that church values because you are experiencing their culture. And that's why we should care very deeply about the culture of our church. Why is this so fundamental to fulfilling this basic mission of making disciples who love God and others? The culture of the church is the temperature gauge of the church's vision, mission, and values. What a church values most can be seen in the way of life in the church not just in what's on paper in a doctrinal statement. The culture of the church is where the true doctrine of the church is seen. Church cultures either confirm or deny what a church believes. You see, Jesus, he once told this story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And, you know, in that, in that culture, the Pharisees were the, you know, uh, the good guys, the religious leaders. They were prominent, you know, they had it all together. And the tax collectors were the bad guys. They, they were out to get you. And so he tells a story about these two, these two men, this, this Pharisee and this tax, tax collector, and they're both praying to God pretty, pretty close to each other. And in the Pharisee's prayer, he, he said, standing upright, gazing toward heaven, very proud, he says, God, I thank you so much that I am not like that tax collector over there. Thank you. Thank you that I am not like him. This, This really religious, doctrinally astute Pharisee prays this prayer, and then Jesus says, but the tax collector, when he prayed, he said, beating his chest, God be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Both of these men believed in God. Both of these men believed in prayer. But the Pharisee, prays from a place of arrogance and condescension. That's his culture coming out. The tax collector prays from a place of humility and deep need and dependence on God. Jesus says, the point of the story, the tax collector is the one who really gets it. Even though the Pharisees' statement of faith probably would have been much more impressive. And that's because the gospel was seen and felt in the tax collector, but not in the Pharisee. Sound doctrine does not matter if it's creating a bunch of hypocrites and arrogant fools. It doesn't matter what you have on paper if you're a jerk. The culture of the church is especially felt in a context of weakness. That's why I say it is so important for us to consider this right now and to catch this vision. Weakness magnifies the culture of a church it magnifies it when we sin when there's conflict when there are needs how a church responds reacts and treats one another demonstrates the culture of the church and it will either be confirmation or denial of what we profess to believe so what is a gospel culture A gospel culture is a way of life in the church that resembles and reflects the person and work of Jesus. The gospel creates a particular type of culture that actually reflects its nature. Uh, Ray Ortland here's how he defines it. He says, gospel culture is a communal character that radiates the beauty of Jesus and the radical grace offered to us in him. In the church's culture, our shared life together. The gospel is highlighted and pronounced. Jesus is proclaimed through our doctrine, but Jesus is seen and experienced through our culture. Paul gives us an example of this in Romans 15. Let me you direct your eyes to Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 1. And I want you to follow his exhortation and the principle he grounds it in. So here's what he says in verse 1 We who are strong So first, Paul says here that we are obligated to bear with one another's weaknesses and failings, not seeking our own pleasure. He says that we are called to build one another up even when we are weak. And then then what, what do you see Paul do? He grounds this expectation in the person and work of Jesus. Why should we sacrificially serve our neighbor and not look only to our own good? Why should we look to the good of our weaker neighbor? Why do that? Because that's what Jesus did. He set a pattern for us to follow he sacrificially served us so our way of life as a church must be modeled after and characteristic of who Jesus is and what he came to do and this is how Jesus is seen in the church you see when this happens not only do the members of a church experience the gospel and its benefits but outsiders see the gospel and its power we, we want to look like Jesus in our attitudes and in our actions and we want others to see Jesus in us You know if you remember last week we saw that the gospel is the power of God for salvation so we believe the gospel actually is power to shape and mold us into people who are slowly but surely becoming something new living consistent with the new life that we've been given through the person and work of Jesus you know it makes me think back to Colossians 3 when we looked at that earlier this year if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above why Because you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your life. So when a group of people who have collectively been raised from death to life, whose lives are collectively hidden with Christ, when those people come together, they create a community that radiates the beauty of Jesus and the new life that he's given. A gospel culture is an environment Where real change can actually happen, where real grace is offered and received, and where real love for God and neighbor is cultivated, and where the real Jesus is seen. That's what the gospel gospel culture is. Second, what are some marks of this culture, some characteristics? Um, Now, if you are a Mark Dever fan, I am going to very much please you with this, because I have nine marks— of a gospel culture okay um uh, he would be so happy uh with me right now there are nine and you know my stubborn self i tried so hard to make it eight or ten just to not have it and i was just like I don't have time. I was actually this morning reviewing the sermon. I was like, no, I'm not being silly. Um, so nine marks. And there, there, there are more. There are more that we could include here, but these are, these are some prominent marks. And some of these uh, come directly from Ray Ortland. Some of them are, are added in. All of them are from Scripture, and this is just a fresh take on an old truth, okay? So uh, starting in Romans 15, if you'll look down to verse 7 with me, this is the basis. This, this is a concise beautiful picture of what a gospel culture looks like so here's how it goes therefore welcome one another as christ has welcomed you for the glory of god there are three steps there first an exhortation welcome one another why and how as christ has welcomed you and when that happens god is glorified why because when you welcome other people the way that jesus has welcomed you jesus is present he is evident he is seen in the church this is a gospel culture here are nine marks of a gospel culture number one honor not shame honor not shame jesus bore our shame and jesus does not shame us in our sin and in our weakness so we must refuse to to shame one another for sin and instead strive to outdo one another in showing honor even as we struggle together. Honor, not shame. Mark number two, grace not judgment. So a gospel culture, things you will see, what does it look like? Grace, not judgment. Jesus offers free grace to sinners. So we strive to be a community that offers free grace to to sinners. We show unmerited favor while resisting judgment. We don't, we don't step back from one another. We don't, we don't uh, run from one another in our sin. We draw near to one another as God in Christ has drawn near to us. We are fellow sinners. And so we give and we show to fellow undeserving sinners what God has so graciously given to us. Grace, not judgment. Third, mark number three. Honesty, not hypocrisy. This is the big one. You ask, you ask most people why they're not a part of a church. What are they gonna say? Bunch of hypocrites. Bunch of hypocrites can't stand it. They say all this stuff. They sing all this stuff. They pray all this stuff. But I work with them. I know how they really are. Bunch of hypocrites. Here's what we're striving for: honesty, not hypocrisy. We talked about that last year when we looked at First John, chapter one, that Jesus, God is light, and everyone who walks in the light with Him is cleansed of sin and also has fellowship with the brethren so we are set free because of the gospel to be honest with god and to be honest with one another without fear of judgment we can be honest about our sin we can be honest about our weakness and be honest about our suffering and we are not ashamed to admit it because we know that the grace that we need is supplied to us by god and we seek to do that for one another honesty not hypocrisy next mark um commitment commitment not quitting this one's tough this one's really really tough especially in our day and age commitment not quitting a gospel culture refuses to give up why because jesus refuses to give up on us in our sin that's a bedrock for us You come in here every single Sunday, I don't just tell you you are loved by God because it will make you feel good. I say it because it's true. You know why it's true? Because God is committed to you. Because of the blood of Jesus, he is eternally committed to you. He will never, ever, ever give up on you. He will never stop working in you. No matter how deeply you sin, he will never give up on you. So, what does the gospel culture look like? We refuse to give up on each other. This is so easy to say. And I have not done this perfectly, and you have not done this perfectly. But how about we name it and aim for it? We will stubbornly keep stumbling forward in step with the Spirit together. We will walk arm in arm. We will not leave a brother or sister behind. We will go at their pace. And we will set the pace for those who are coming behind us. We have to develop this otherworldly attitude that there is nothing you can do that will cause us to give up on you. Commitment, not quitting. Next mark. I lost count, by the way. I'm so sorry. I don't have them numbered in my notes. What number are we on? Five. Thank you. You got to help the preacher sometimes. Um, five joy not misery joy we don't think about this a lot right especially since we're a reformed Baptist church we just kind of you know uh, our default is just we are very serious we're serious people we are here to be serious and that's great because we are we are serious serious people but listen a gospel culture radiates joy a gospel culture has a joy that is contagious you go to a life group And you see it you feel it joy you come to a service you feel joy in people and that doesn't mean that we're just again we're honest we're not hypocrites like it doesn't mean we're just walking around just faking happiness but Jesus has satisfied our hearts he has satisfied our souls in ways that no one else could despite deep pain in our lives so that's what we pursue we pursue a contagious joy that spreads throughout our community okay so joy not misery number six Humility, not pride. Humility, not pride. Jesus humbled himself, we read in Philippians 2, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we refuse to exalt ourselves over one another. We refuse to look down on other people as if we are better. Instead, we cultivate a gospel culture, a culture of humility in which we count others more significant than ourselves. Humility, not pride. Service, mark number seven, service, not apathy. Jesus, when he came to earth, what did he come to do? To serve, not to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. So we will resist apathy and and make it our desire. To serve one another. We will show up in each other's lives when there is need. The gospel creates a culture of service where we sacrifice of our time, energy, resources, and even our money for the good of others. Mark number 8, hospitality, not coldness. Jesus has welcomed us into his kingdom, and it's on the basis of his work for us, not our work for him. He stands with open arms to welcome sinners into his presence okay i think i'm good all right um he stands and he opens his arms and he welcomes sinners into his presence and so we will not keep people at arm's length until they prove their worth because what we know is that jesus is their worth okay hospitality not coldness finally mark number nine generosity not stinginess Jesus generously gave his life for our salvation. His grace to us continues to abound. He meets our every need. And so we will generously give of our resources, knowing that that, that what we have been given is the Lord's. And we steward it wisely, and we freely and sacrificially and cheerfully give away our treasures for the good of others. Now, what do you notice about these nine marks, These, these nine marks of a gospel culture Each of them is exemplified by Jesus. Each one is inerrant to the person of Jesus, and none of them are natural to us. None of them. Each of these characteristics contributes to a beautiful community. I want you to imagine, what if, what if our city was filled with more humble, joyful, sacrificial, honest, and gracious people? Imagine if each Sunday we gathered, each life group and equipping class we participated in, and any time we were in each other's company, there was an embodied demonstration to the world and to the church that we have met Jesus and we've never been the same since. This is the vision of a a gospel culture. I want to be in a culture like that. Mainly because when we create a gospel culture in our church we are creating a safe environment for sinners like us to receive grace and grow for people who are suffering to receive care and heal for the poor and burdened to receive relief and recover and for the outcasts to receive belonging and peace and, and i do want to encourage you I, We are seeing a gospel culture slowly but surely start to emerge before our eyes. I've seen extraordinary commitment from you when it has been very easy to run. I've seen needs that have been met in our church simply because you have answered the call. You have sacrificially served. You have generously given. I've seen many new believers come into our church and, and be welcomed in, and they've never doubted that they actually belong. And I've seen you show deep hospitality. I've seen men from our church gathering, waking up early and praying together. I've seen women from our church come together and meet needs of those in our church and even those who are outside our church that we just hear of. I've seen examples of times when you have sinned against one another and then confess and repent and then forgiveness was extended. These are the marks of a gospel culture. One, one last thing. There's a path. How do we get there? Most specifically, what do we need? What do we need to establish and cultivate a gospel culture? What's the path forward? We need a simple formula that comes straight from the green book that's right out there that Ray Ortland wrote. It's in a, like a little paragraph. It's almost like it's just a—it feels like a throwaway. I'm like, man, I would have loved for you to write a whole book on this one paragraph. But it's, it's right in there, and I'm taking it straight from it. Not all the content, but this, this formula— What you need to cultivate a gospel culture are three things gospel plus safety plus time how do we get there we need the gospel we need safety and we need time and and it helps if you think of the church the way you would a family because the church is the household of god and in a family what do children need in order to develop in a healthy way what do they need well first They need parents who love them because of who they are and not what they do. Second, they need a safe environment where their mistakes and failures are not met with harshness. And and they need time. They need time to grow and change because children do not mature overnight. And the same is true for us. We need the gospel, we need safety, and we need time. First, we need the gospel. You need to know this. If you believe that you have to earn love from God, you know what you're going to do? You are going to try to earn love from others. And you are going to expect the same thing from them. If you believe that your behaviors and your works are the basis for your acceptance with God, you will only accept others who meet the standards that you set for them. It's how it works. Our doctrine creates a specific culture. So we need the gospel. We need to believe the good news that sinners are reconciled to God through the finished work of Jesus, that we receive forgiveness and acceptance and love and grace because of what Jesus has done for us. He is the standard for our church's culture. So in order to cultivate it, we need multiple exposures to the gospel. We need to be swimming in a sea of gospel in this church. And that's the reason that we structure our worship services the way that we do. That's why we open every single week with a gospel welcome. That's why we take you through the drama of the gospel as we begin by praising the Lord for his holiness and glory. And then we move to a time of confession of our own sin. And then we proclaim the good news that God is merciful to sinners like us in Jesus. And in the end, we send you out with a word from the Lord to take this news to others. We can never have enough gospel in this place. And in order for us to be a people where where sin is forgiven where sinners are met with the real jesus we have to put him on display in everything we do we need the gospel but we also need safety safety how tragic would it be if we spoke the gospel all the time but we didn't show it what if if this message of grace was attracting sinners from all over our city and all walks of life to join our community but when they got here they were met with pressure and accusations and judgment and condescension that's not a place that anyone can grow so, so we need safety. Ray Ortland puts it this way. He says, we need the safety of non-accusing sympathy so that people are free and encouraged to admit their problems honestly. If we don't have a safe environment for each of us to confess our sins, how will we ever be able to kill our sins? In a gospel culture, there is no room for embarrassing one another, no room for shaming one another, and there are no ultimatums placed on one another. Instead, in a gospel culture, we find respect and honor. We find dignity. We listen to each other and we seek to understand whenever we're confused. We sympathize and we don't rush to judgment. When we each feel safe to share who and where we really are, we are set free to grow into what God has created us to be. And we know our church has reached reached safety when you are in a life group and you Do not fear sharing the burdens of your heart. Okay, so we need safety, but finally we need time. We need time to grow. And this ingredient is so obvious and so forgotten. None of us has arrived. We each need enough time to see where we are missing the mark. And we need time to learn from God through his word and through his spirit where we need to change. You do know this, right? You may point out, You may be like, you know, hey, you have sinned against me, and the person doesn't immediately see it. What are you going to do? You can't make them. You giving up? No, we need time. We, we, We may be acting in ways that are not consistent with Scripture, and we need to be called out, but we might not the very next day change those behaviors. We need time to grow. As Ortland says, people are complex, and changing is not easy. So there can be no deadlines for spiritual growth. There's urgency. Because eternity is looming, but there is no hurry because God is patient, and so must we be. An unbeliever, a new believer, an immature believer, and even the most mature believer in this room each needs time and a safe place full of gospel saturation. You see, a gospel culture is an environment where sinners like us can not only receive grace, but be protected and preserved by grace as we groan and grow through the traces of sin that remain in us. The goal of a gospel culture is not to make our church a safe place for sin to abound, but a gospel culture is meant to make the church a safe place for sin to be confessed and repented of. So we want a church culture where the worst sinner imaginable can come in this place and receive forgiveness, and freedom and redemption and healing and belonging and joy through Christ and then also experientially with us I, I, I want to close with this look at Romans 15 5-6 um, because if you haven't picked up on it this is really hard this, it's, it's, it's easy to you know look at a doctrinal statement and be like, yeah, I agree, I disagree, I agree, I disagree. It's easy to be like, yeah, I believe the gospel. It is difficult to change. It is difficult to put this stuff into practice. Those nine marks, they are difficult to cultivate. Do you know what we're going to need? Two things. Endurance and encouragement. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Why? So that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need endurance because change doesn't happen overnight, and we need encouragement because it is easier to quit than it is to endure. God supplies both. He is our source to become what we are meant to be. He is the only way, through his encouragement... And through his endurance, he is the only way that we can actually become a gospel culture. Through the power of the Spirit, we can be a place where the gospel is both preached and practiced. I want to end with this quote from Ortland. Here's what he says In this new kind of environment, Christ is lifted up, sins are confessed, shame is removed, dignity is restored, forgiveness is felt. The races are reconciled. Sexual integrity is recovered. Money is humbled. Power serves. Sacrifice is normal. Joy is contagious, and so forth. That is how the gospel beautifies the church. In that environment, people can admit their real problems. They are not pressured to grow at anyone else's pace because the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit is trusted. Listen, we we will have wasted our time together if we make sure that we're believing all the right things, but it makes no difference in the way that we live together. The doctrine of grace that we believe creates a culture of grace that we experience. Let's do this together. Father.